What is up, wrestling fans? Welcome back to a brand new action-packed, hot fire, top tier, coming at you with the elbow from the top rope edition of your favorite wrestling podcast. That's right, it's Ringside Rewind, and I am, of course, your host, one half of the podcast wrestling tag team champions of the world, Chris Jardy, a.k.a. Snaggle J, and as always, coming in. Holding on to that tag rope real tight. Ready for the hot tag. It's my main man, Mr. Chris Doyle. What is going on, buddy? Well, it's a, we're all set. We've got money in the bank coming up. Forbidden door coming up. Mm. Uh, we we have some more clear. What's more clear on uh, what's going to happen at Forbidden Door after this weekend. Of course, you can hear all about that on the ringside rebound that posted this weekend. So uh, you can be sure to check that out. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're going to talk about the day the Shield won the title, the World Wrestling Entertainment Heavyweight Championship. All that's right. In the that's same right. Night. That's right. We are covering Money in the Bank 2016. It was a monumental night for the three members of the Shield. We're going to dive into it all. We're going to talk about it. But first, we have some news and noteworthy things. Maybe. I don't know. It's been a weird week in the in the realm of wrestling news. Um, gotta say. It's been a little strange. It has been. There's been things, you know, back and forth where, you know, you can check out things from Jack uh, Jake Atlas. He's not going to be back in AEW. Matt Cardona is going to be out for about three months. We're talking about Mike Tyson showing up at the roast of Ric Flair. Uh, AEW having a new championship called the All Atlantic Championship, with uh, that Atlantic, uh, the Atlantic uh, country of Japan, on it. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know about that. That one's uh, sneaked by Coach Tony. Uh, but one of the bigger stories that has happened, it's happened in the past uh, couple of days, has been uh, Jeff Hardy, uh, who has once again been arrested and charged uh, for DUI. Uh, there are reports that this is his 10th DUI charge. Uh, he's had some footage put out there that was uh, taken by the police, and uh, he was trying to do the... Uh, tests on the side of the road and uh, that didn't uh, work out real well for him uh the ladder match that was supposed to take place on tonight's dynamite uh, has been uh, canceled uh, he's been charged with one count each of driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol excuse me it's his third offense in 10 years so uh, let's make that a little bit clearer three third offense in 10 years of uh, driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol driving with a canceled suspended revoked license and violating restrictions placed on the driver's license. Uh, He was in court yesterday. Uh, Officers administered a breath test, and Hardy's first sample read 0.294 blood alcohol. The second sample read 291, that's 0.291. The legal limit to drive in Florida is uh, 0.08. Now, Tony Khan has put out uh, a statement about this for Jeff, uh, the Jeff Hardy situation, uh, and it does uh, go like this. We were able to resume contact with Jeff Hardy this afternoon. AEW does not condone Jeff's alleged behavior. 
We've made it clear to Jeff we will assist him in getting treatment for substance abuse issues, which he has indicated that he's open to receiving. In the interim, he's suspended without pay and can only return to AEW upon, upon successfully completing treatment and maintaining his sobriety. And then uh, Tony Khan gives a helpline for anyone that needs help. This has to be it for Jeff Hardy, right? I mean, here's the thing. And, and I'm going to tread very lightly here because, uh, you know, whenever these sort of situation happens, all the dick bags and, and asshats of the social media realm are very quick to, you know, say, oh, the writing was on the wall and AEW so stupid. Just like the, how they were very quick to say, oh, WWE is so stupid when they brought Jeff Hardy back and then he had this walkout moment at his last WWE appearance, which we covered in, in pretty great detail uh, when it happened. But I think what is extremely evident here is Jeff Hardy ha has a problem. He has had a problem for two decades. He has never overcome this problem and needs to figure it out. Whether Jeff Hardy wrestles another match ever again or not, I really don't care. Um, you know, like, you when you've seen things that he's done, appearances he's made on podcasts and, and, and things like that, you know, uh, the, Stone, the, the Stone Cold Sessions, for example, Jeff Hardy seems like a pretty good dude when he's got his head screwed on right. And, you know, he comes across as a pretty good dude. But he has a problem. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate. I don't want to really dive too much into the wrestling implications of it, but it is unfortunate for AEW, um, you know, uh, uh, having to you know put off uh, a main event of a Wednesday night show, especially as highly anticipated of a main event. You know, with the with the triple threat ladder match with the Bucks and um, the the uh, the tag team champions Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. But all that aside, I mean, Jeff Hardy needs help. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, and I feel like we've said this, you know, every time this happens. But I really do hope that maybe this is the time where he goes and gets the help that he needs, um, because it is obvious, you know, this is. There have been many incidents in the lines of Jeff Hardy. You know, he will always famously be attached to um, the incident in, in TNA with Sting and Bischoff. And uh, man, like, it's just, you know, we, we discussed, you know, after um, Double or Nothing was something going on with Jeff Hardy. Because there was a lot of speculation after his performance in that match that something was going on with Jeff Hardy. We don't know if there was or not, if it was just wear and tear or whatever. But it's obvious after this incident that Jeff Hardy is not okay and Jeff Hardy needs help. And you know what? He's got to be kept off TV. I, I admit I'm a little surprised they didn't just outright fire him, to be, to be quite honest. Um, maybe that will be to come. Um, given the corporate oversight around AEW's product, 
and their network that they they put their show on, I would not be surprised if you never see Jeff Hardy in AEW again. Would not surprise me. Jeff Hardy, and you, you kind of said it there, Jeff Hardy seems like a good guy. But the things that make him seem like a good guy can also be his worst enemy. Because yeah. he is so... When he's got his head on straight, and just from what we've seen in interviews and podcasts and things like that, he is so artistic and so in the clouds. Just just his personality. Not saying in a bad way, but he seems to get in his head after he's been good for a while that, oh, I can have, you know, I can do a little bit. I can shoot some fireball with a couple of the guys at a bar on a Sunday night while his band's playing, you know, that kind of thing, which is what happened. He was doing an appearance at a bar with uh, his band and was performing and had a few drinks. And as, as he's an addict, one of the big things that I've heard addicts say, alcoholics and specifically, is they don't want one drink. They want all the drinks. Yep. So, you know, we put out the good vibes for Jeff Hardy and his family. Yep. I'm sh- Matt probably, I can't see Matt being on television for the next little bit because no. just simply because of that yep. connection. Uh, but uh, we'll see uh, what happens with uh, Jeff Hardy uh, coming up in the next little bit. I don't know if they'll fire him, but he just, depending on how long his contract is, he may have just not appear anytime at, yeah. after his the suspension. Think, here's the thing, right? You know what? Everybody who ha- has any sort of sense, you know, wants him to get better and wants it to work out. And you know what? I not in any way to be ignorant to people with substance abuse problems, but those those people need to want to get better. Yes. Right. And I think. You know what? The biggest thing, and WWE has shown this time and time again, right? WWE has gone out of their way to help current and former superstars who have substance abuse problems. I can't imagine that's going to apply to Jeff Hardy in this case, but I know it has applied to Jeff Hardy in the past. You know, Triple H, you know, has has famously been on record many times saying, you know, WWE you know, will, you know, if you have substance problems, you know, you're, you're covered for life. That's they, they do that for their performers. Yes. The only person and, that, that, that does not, they, they will not anymore is Sonny. That has been. Yeah. Come from WWE is yeah. that Sonny. And I think not get anymore. Right. And I think the thing is if Jeff Hardy's been through that and, it, and, and for reasons X, Y, Z, it didn't work. So what it comes down to now for AEW is, you know, what it's 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 a business decision. Whether you like it or not, they're running a business. It's no different than if I run a store that sells, you know, wrestling memorabilia and you're my employee and you have a, a, you know, you have a hard time showing up to work in the right frame of mind, I need to, I, I may like you as a person and want you to get better, but at the end of the day, my main responsibility is to my business. So, you know what, like at what point with Jeff Hardy is it too many strikes? Because, you know what, this is well beyond strike three. So at what point is it where the wrestling 
circles just say we need to move on from Jeff Hardy. Talented as hell, puts his body on the line, always interested in putting on a good show. But at what point is enough enough and the wrestling world decides we really need to move on from Jeff Hardy because of the fact that his demons are too much of a liability. Um, I don't know if we're there. Only time will tell. Um, but I think primarily, you know, we, we hope that Jeff gets the help he needs and, uh, and gets himself on the, on the right path. He was bailed out on Monday night on a $3,500 bond. Uh, David Meltzer has reported that AEW has told Warner Brothers Discovery to stop all promotion of Jeff Hardy in any commercials or anywhere else immediately. Makes sense. I mean, yeah. Makes total sense. Okay. All right. So before we get going, now listen, I'm going to, I'm springing this one on you because this is what I like. Okay. So, as, as we said earlier in the, in the podcast, today we are covering Money in the Bank 2016. This is not the first Money in the Bank related show that we have done. Uh, we had previously done a Money in the Bank related show around New Year's Revolution uh, where Edge famously cashed in the very first Money in the Bank against John Cena after the main event and became the WWE champion. So my question to you is, we're 17 years into this concept of Money in the Bank. And, you know... I know we talked about this a little bit at the time, but I'm going to kind of look at it in a different way. Do you think money in the bank holds the same value within the promotion that it once had? To say money in the bank was always sort of used to crown who's next, right? You know, they did it with Edge. They did it with Punk. Um, you know, they did it with so many others who, you know, it, it was a logical way to get them into the the main event spot. Like, they, you know, they did it with Big E, but, you know, that had fizzled out really quickly. So I guess my question is, given the, the recent years where I would argue that the value of the money in the bank has been diminished by the people who have won it, do you think the money in the bank is a concept that still holds value within WWE? Uh, yes, because I think every time there's a cash in, it pops the crowd and does pop interest for a little bit. I think the person makes the briefcase, not the briefcase makes the person. Right, okay. And, and you kind of get, like the past couple of years, they've kind of watered it down because they had money in the bank matches for the raw title and the SmackDown title and the women's title and three money in the bank matches in one night. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of burnout. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, there's always been down times for the money in the bank briefcase. Like one year Kane wanted and cashed it in on the same night to be Ray Mysterio. Um, the women's money in the bank always seems to get cashed in within two weeks. Um, and then we'll get to maybe a long-term storyline with 
the men's one, the best cash in I ever seen, and the number one in my opinion, is the Dolph Ziggler one. Right. I enjoyed that one. So I think in this time frame of WWE, where everything is so overproduced, to have the ability to have a quote-unquote surprise in their show at any time helps them. Yeah. See, my issue becomes, and it's kind of funny because, you know, I was discussing, the reason why I asked you this is because I was discussing it with somebody earlier today. I feel like a lot of the mystique of money in the bank was capped when Rollins cashed in at WrestleMania. Because at that point, how do you ever do it better than that? You can't. Rollins cashing in at WrestleMania will forever be the best cash-in of the money in the bank, in my opinion. In terms of scale, scope, storyline, result, the total package. I agree. You know what? Ziggler had a really memorable cash-in. The Edge one is a memorable cash-in. Um, you know, there's been some, you know, really memorable ones. I mean, this one that we're going to cover today is is a memorable one. But in terms of scale, scope, consequence, result, hype, the amount that they've, you know, used it to promote it since then, you kind of hit the high watermark with, with Rollins at WrestleMania. And that was eight years ago. Yes. So ever since then, you've been chasing how to do it better. 2015, Sheamus wins, holds the belt, holds the contract for 161 days, cashes in on Roman after the spear of Triple H, whatever. Um, You know, we're going to talk about the money in the bank from today, which is 2016. 2017, Baron Corbin wins. We all know what the hell happened with that. 2018, Braun Strowman. Um, 2019, Brock Lesnar, 2020, Otis, and then The Miz, 2021, Big E. None of those, to the, to the regular wrestling fan, most of them would have to think about very hard how those cash-ins happened. Because I think, they, but yeah, but you can throw, I think you throw out 20 and 21. Because I agree. You know, like if Big E, it's hard to throw out twenty one because again, Big E was a pretty because Big E was was what the crowd wanted. That was but a they weren't they weren't in front of crowds at that point, were they? I think yeah, there were still they were. Oh, were they? Okay, yeah, yeah. Big E won in front of a crowd. Okay, I have in my head the thought of him being picked up by everyone. That might have been his Intercontinental Title win. Where he was picked up yes. by all the faces yep. that in, was, yeah, in the it Thunderdome was. or whatever it was called. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was. Okay, so we'll throw out twenty and Otis. Well, and yeah. I mean, I kind of liked it going to Otis because I think Otis could have been. He was kind of that off kilter character that WWE always has, right. that everybody enjoys, and you know. You cash in and you give him 
you have to let him have a real good match and maybe he loses or maybe he wins for a couple of weeks. Right. And, you know, like, but once again, WWE drops the ball on something that may not have been business changing, but at least would have been different. Yeah. You, you know, I'm not really ready to write off. I just think, you know what? At this point, I think they need to put a new spin on the money in the bank concept. Um, Because, I, you know what? This concept has existed for 17 years. And I just, I feel like the shine is gone off the diamond at this point. Again, there there has to be something they can do to reinvent this concept a little bit. Obviously, you know what? It's it's still a very unique match. It's still a very unique circumstance. It's still something that, you know, it, it gets people excited. You know, it's it, it's sort of a, a summertime staple, you know, pre-SummerSlam. If the if the briefcase is held onto for any amount of time, it creates intrigue, especially when it's in the hands of the right person. But I just think to me, I feel like the concept needs a bit of work. So how about let me put this out there? New Japan has the G1 tournament coming up. It's the 26th, I think. And the winner of the G1 gets the briefcase and the contract for Dominion, or for, sorry, for Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. The main event, IWGP World Heavyweight title match at Wrestle Kingdom, that's the winner of the G1. However, before you get there, you defend that briefcase. And... Namely, you defend it against people that defeated you in the G1 because the G1 is not a single elimination tournament. It is a round robin tournament. This With year it's points, points based results. Yeah. Points based results. And this year it's 28 guys, four blocks of seven. So, and it's all being done within a month. It's about 23 shows, I think, within about a month. And the winner gets that title shot. Do you think changing the money in the bank to be more like the G1 briefcase where it has to be defended? You know, you have if you lose in a tag match or somebody beats you, you then have to defend your briefcase until you cash it in. I wouldn't mind that. I mean, I, you know, I've seen some people suggest that the money in the bank briefcase should be treated like the 24-7 title where you have to defend the briefcase 24 hours a day. I think that's a bit excessive. But I would not mind a system where the the briefcase is treated as a um as a title. Especially in the current environment where WWE's um unified heavyweight champion is on the missing list um you know will return 
to wrestle Riddle in what I'm sure won't be a schmoz on SmackDown and then will disappear again, not reported to be on Money in the Bank, not reported to be on SummerSlam at this point. So he's not I, on, he's not going to be on SummerSlam? Well, there it depends on reports. Who it, reports are. I think he's going to wrestle on SummerSlam. I think he has to wrestle some of but but again, like you know, you'd have to get around the well being able to cash in whenever you want and blah 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 and whatever. But I, I would like I, I again, I'm at the point where I think the money in the bank concept needs a tweak. I'd like to see them try to add a wrinkle or something to it that that brings back a little bit of that initial feeling you had. Because here's the thing, right? Everybody goes into it, and you know we're still a long ways away from the participants in the 2022 matches. We only have uh, four set on the women's side and only one set on the men's side. So long way to go before we can start speculating on who's going to win, who's going to do this, who's going to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I'd like to see them do something different. I mean, and yet as I say that, I'm going to have to watch Natalia wrestle for the women's championship at uh, Hell in a Cell or uh, at Money in the Bank. And uh, I just want to vomit a little bit in my mouth every time I see that. But yeah. anyway, yeah. speaking of a Money in the Bank concept that needs no tweaking, we're going back to 2016. It is Money in the Bank 2016. It happened June 19th, 2016 from Paradise, Nevada at the T-Mobile Arena. 14,150 people in attendance. Chris, how how did how did we get here? Well, the build for this actually kind of started as an accident. Uh, on November 4th, 2015, Seth Rollins was forced to vacate the WWE World Heavyweight Championship due to an injury. He returned May 22nd at Extreme Rules, attacking champion Roman Reigns after his successful title defense against AJ Styles. Rollins was granted a title match against Reigns at Money in the Bank the next night on Raw by Shane McMahon. However, critics wondered if WWE was leaving money on the table by not slotting Rollins as a face and Reigns as a heel, as this was the opposite of what fans wanted. Fans were cheering Rollins and booing Reigns. I remember around this time that I thought that Rollins should have come back as a face, as a good guy, and they were even leading up to that in the WWE 24 uh, that uh, appeared on the network when when uh, Rollins returned. Yeah, I think we're, we're very much in the heights of the fans turning on Roman and wanting Roman to be a heel and booing Roman. And, you know, it's... One of those things where, I mean, again, hindsight being what it is, is perfect because now Reigns is on this two-year run as one of the best heels WWE has had in a very long time. So, again, there's a whole lot of, well, they were right to do it when they did and we were wrong and whatever. But yeah, we're very much, you know, we, I, I think we were led to believe that Rollins was going to come back as a good guy and take on Reigns as a bad guy. And that's not, I, I think, 
even the way it was presented with that attack at Extreme Rules, Rollins was left standing in the ring with the crowd going absolutely berserk. It was a face ending. Yeah. And that's not what we got at all. And I think we ended up, you know, the build to this as we go through this, but I think we had a lot of, of people looking at this as they were just kind of both playing a tweener with WWE holding on to this idea that Roman Reigns was the face of their company, figuratively and literally. On the May 30th episode of Raw, John Cena returned from recovering from a shoulder injury, left him out of action for five months. AJ Styles then came out to welcome him back until Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, Styles' former teammates in the club, which had broken up the previous week on Raw, appeared looking for a fight. Cena and Styles prepared to brawl with them until Styles attacked alongside Gallows and Anderson, turning heel and reforming the club in the process. On June 3rd, a match between Cena and Styles was scheduled for Money in the Bank, which WWE labeled as a WrestleMania dream match. On the June 13th episode of Raw, Styles presented, sorry, Cena presented Styles with two contracts, one allowing Gallows and Anderson to be in his corner, the other banning them so they could fight interrupted. Styles chose to ban the club. Of course he did. Yeah. What a what a what a great what a great thing to do. Yes, of course. Now um, the winner Oh, go, oh ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. The winner of the Money in the Bank ladder match will win a contract for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship match at any time within the next year on the May 23rd episode of Raw. Sami Zayn, Cesaro, Chris Jericho, Dean Ambrose, and Kevin Owens all qualified for the match. By defeating Sheamus, The Miz, Apollo Crews, Dolph Ziggler, and AJ Styles, respectively. On the May 26th episode of SmackDown, Alberto Del Rio defeated Zack Ryder to qualify for the match. Baby, a good old Alberto Del Rio. I mean, just look at, like, Sami Zayn's still there. Cesaro's gone. Jericho's gone. Dean Ambrose is gone. Owens is still there. Sheamus is still there. The Miz is still there. Paulo Paulo just moved back down to NXT. NXT. Ziggler's still there, and Styles is still there. Alberto Del Rio may be in prison somewhere in Mexico at this point. And uh, nobody's heard from Zack Ryder in years. That Matt Cardona Cardona guy is pretty good. He is. He's definitely uh, made a name for himself. Yes. Um, he's He's doing the Cody Rhodes. Exactly. And I am actually, I, I liked uh, Zack Ryder's later versions of his theme music when Downstraight did a version of radio. And, and yes. That, so. You know, it almost as if we should do a theme music episode. Maybe. Uh, at Payback, the final match in the tournament to determine the number one contender for the WWE Tag Team Championship pitted the Villains. Aiden English and Simon Gotch against Enzo and Cass ended in a no contest after Enzo Amore suffered a legit concussion. Subsequently, the VOD villains challenged the WWE Tag Team Champions at the new or the new day at Extreme Rules in a losing effort. On the May 30th episode of Raw, during a rematch between the VOD villains and New Day, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson attacked the New Day. Following week, the VOD villains defeated Enzo and Cass by disqualification. Later in the night, Gallows and Anderson defeated the New Day, taking an idea by Teddy Long 
Stephanie McMahon scheduled the four teams in a match at Money in the Bank in a fatal four-way match for the WWE Tag Team Championships. Oh, good old. You get a lo- love a good Teddy Long reference. Yeah. I do. I really he do. Did, and he said he didn't put any of them telling them that they were going to face The Undertaker. That's right. Well, listen, hey, we've got all kinds of great build here. You know what? On the May 26th episode of SmackDown, after United States champion Rusev, never heard of him, defeated Kalisto to retain the title, Titus O'Neil came out to help Kalisto when Rusev refused to break his accolade submission hold. Uh, On the May 30th episode of Raw, after defeating Zack Ryder, Rusev started to insult the crowd and declared himself a true American hero, and we could not have agreed more. This led to O'Neal coming out and punching Rusev. On June 8th, the match between Rusev and O'Neal for the U.S. Championship was scheduled for Money in the Bank. On the June 13th episode of Raw, Titus O'Neal walked out for his match when Rusev attacked him on the stage and applied the accolades, leading to WWE officials pulling Rusev off of O'Neal. The Titus O'Neal push, just what everybody needed. Yes, right up until he ran and slid under the ring, which is the only thing he'll ever be remembered for. At uh, That was at Crown Jewel, right? Yes. If I remember correctly. Uh, no, Greatest Royal Rumble. Oh, yes. It was a Saudi show. It was a Saudi Sorry, show. Sorry, yeah. that's right. Uh, at Extreme Rules, WWE Women's Champion Charlotte defeated Natalia due to distraction by Dana Brooke. Ah, uh, yes, we're still in the Dana Brooke is the understudy of Charlotte phase. Uh, Dana Brooke was dressed as Ric Flair. Oh, on the May 23rd episode of Raw, Charlotte turned on her father, Ric Flair, claiming he was no longer needed and therefore aligned herself with Dana Brooke as her protege. On the May 26th episode of SmackDown, Natalia defeated Brooke by disqualification. And on the May 30th episode, after Brooke defeated Natalia, Becky Lynch came out to help Natalia. This led to the June 2nd episode of SmackDown, where Lynch defeated Charlotte by DQ, because we never have DQ finishes on WWE TV. On the June 9th episode of SmackDown, Lynch defeated Brooke, and on June 13th, a match pitting Charlotte and Brooke against Natalia and Lynch was scheduled for Money in the Bank. So we just talked in our, in our lead-up to this, that coming up at the next WWE pay-per-view, Natalia is going to be in the women's title match. Just like she was eight years ago. Well, to be fair, though, it was not a women's title match eight years. Wait, eight years ago? Six years ago? Eight years ago? Sixteen. Yeah, sorry. But it it was a tag match. It wasn't even a women's championship match at 2016 Money in the Bank. No, no, but the month before that at Extreme Rules. Oh, right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Natalia, I keep trying to think of the male equivalent, but like Natalia is just like that performer that when you don't have anything else for anybody, you can just throw her out there. And she goes out. She's not super over, uh, but she's safe in the ring. She puts on a good match. Um, you know, she's, you know, very well trained. Um, it's just to me, and you know we could talk about it another time, but it shows how much in disarray the WWE Women's Division is right now. When you have Ronda Rousey wrestling Natalia in 2022, I'm just that's all I'm saying. And I didn't watch Raw last night because I 
enjoy my life and why should I be mad in my own house? I agree. But, or I guess it was Friday night on SmackDown. Rousey tried to do a promo that, like, I've seen clips of. Yeah, she's and I, not getting it. No, I've seen guys on local shows that can do promos better than Ronda Rousey can. Like, it's, like, there. she is not paying off the way they thought she was going to pay off. This is not going to be a long-term deal for her. Oh, I don't think so. No, I don't. And I don't think she had ever any intentions of it being one. To be quite honest. No. At the Extreme Rules kickoff pre-show, Baron Corbin defeated Dolph Ziggler in a no disqualification match after deliberately using a low blow before the end of days. The next night on Raw, Ziggler challenged Corbin to a technical wrestling match. Aren't they all supposed to be technical wrestling matches? Uh, For the next week on Raw, which Corbin accepted, on the May 30th edition of Raw, Ziggler was disqualified after deliberately hitting Corbin with a low blow as retaliation for what happened at Extreme Rules. So you know what that means. On June 17th, another match between the two was scheduled for Money in the Bank. Was it a first person to hit a low blow wins match? Uh, No, I think it was just a straight. I've watched the show, but I barely remember the match. Uh, And I think it was just a straight wrestling match. Uh, Not necessarily a technical wrestling match. Not a a no-holds-barred match. Just kind of something in the middle. Okay. Well, opportunity Uh, missed. Yeah, of course. You know what? That's that's a good one. Though. I'm writing that one down. And if I ever get the book somewhere, I'm I'm going to build up to one of those first person to hit a low blow wins matches. I like it. Big yeah. fan. On the May 23rd episode of Raw, frustration towards losing his money in the bank qualifying match to Sami Zayn earlier in the night. Sheamus attacked Apollo Crews during a backstage interview with Renee Young. It never happened to her. Uh, telling Crews that she he's sick of him promoting the new era and that no one would replace him, leading to Cruz losing his money in the bank qualifying match to Chris Jericho later in the show. On the June 9th episode of SmackDown, backstage watching the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows movie, Seamus bragged to Zack Ryder, Goldust, R-Truth, and Summer Rae about how great he was and how everyone should be waiting on him and how he is an A-list star leading to Apollo Crews confronting Sheamus and punching him, sending Sheamus into a number of cardboard boxes behind him on the June 13th episode of Raw after defeating Zack Ryder. Sheamus continued to viciously attack Ryder, leading Crews, leading two crews coming down to help Ryder. On June 17th, a match pitting the two was scheduled for money in the bank. Man, I wish that's a paragraph I'd like to have back. It's... He played oh, and, one oh, 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 and it, and, it, and it's not over. Let's keep oh, no. going. let's keep going with this with this storyline because after Goldust replaces our truth with Fandango as his tag team partner in their match in the team championship number one contender tournament on the April fourteenth episode of SmackDown, our truth found a new partner in Tyler Breeze. Following singles victories in matches on Raw by Breeze over Goldust and our truth over Fandango. The two teams faced each other on the May 12th episode of SmackDown. Tyler Breeze and R-Truth defeated Goldust and Fandango when Fandango turned on his partner. Oh, no. After the match, Fandango and Breeze continued to attack Goldust, who was then rescued by R-Truth. So after Breezango defeated Golden Truth on the May 16th and May 26th episode of Raw, 
a third and well, I mean, I, I wish I could say final, but a third match between the two teams is scheduled on June 17th for the Money in the Bank kickoff pre-show and baby, oh baby, 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 here we are, Money in the Bank 2016. What so, oh, absolute. Anyway, so on Sunday, I'm sitting here, or no, I'm sorry, I'm in my apartment and I said I'm going to do some laundry. So I go and I have the laundry room that's right beside my apartment. So I go out and I'm throwing laundry in the machine. And I, this is the God honest truth. The, there's two apartments on either side of, of the laundry room. Out of one of those apartments was playing the Fandango theme song. Now, this is a weird question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have a favorite pay-per-view pre-show match? I mean, not really. <laughs> because I, I can name two right off the bat that I enjoyed okay. a lot. Feel free to One go. was WLC, which was Hornswoggle and uh, Torito in a TLC match on a pre-show. I don't remember what show it was for. But it has, was the three-man band on one side, and Torito had Los, Los Mentadores on the other. And the, everything was small, including the announcers. It was Extreme Rules uh, 2014, the WLC match. If you haven't seen the WLC match, watch it. Because I, I've, it, I've, it, seen, I've seen it. It's, it's actually, I enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. The second one? Is this match that kicked off the pre-show, which was the aforementioned Golden Truth defeating Brazango, uh, Fandango, and uh, Tyler Breeze. Uh, they did that in five minutes and six seconds. And it's because I kind of like the dumb stuff in wrestling sometimes. Well, this and is sure that this is right up your alley then. This it is because what happened is the uh Brizango was out tanning and they fell asleep while they were tanning, so their chests we're all burnt. And of course that leads to uh, uh, Goldust and our truth just hammering them. And of course it was all makeup up and, and stuff like that. And they were painted red and, and that, but I, it, I laughed a lot when I watched the match and I watched it. Again well, over the what weekend. do you, what do you think about your boy Dave Meltzer giving it a dud? Dave doesn't really have a sense of humor. <laughs> like, so to, re- so, so to recap, yeah. Gold Dust and R Truth defeat Fandango and Tyler Breeze by pinfall at five minutes and six seconds of kickoff pre-show. Again, they exploit the sunburn uh, that Breezango had suffered. The end comes. Gold Dust executes a final cut on Fandango to pick up the one, two, three. Dave Meltzer gave it a D-U-D Dudski. Much Listen, it, it would have been four fight. stars. It would have been four stars in the Tokyo Dome. There was another pre-show match, and I can't believe I'm going to say this uh, result out loud, but I'm going to say it anyway. Kalisto and Sin Cara defeats the Dudley Boys, eight minutes and 47 seconds via pinfall. Uh, The Lucha Dragons, as they're being called, this is pre-Lucha House Party, which I much more enjoyed. 
Um, Kalisto hits a Salida del Sol on Bubba Ray. Sin Cara hits a Swanton Bomb to win the match. Two stars. Um, in what world are we living in where the Lucha Dragons are going over the Dudleys? Uh, in 2016, when nobody cared about the Dudleys anymore. I mean, you could also make a case that nobody cared about the Lucha Dragons either, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, you know what? I think people cared about Callisto. I don't think that's anybody true. Gave, gave a damn about Sin Cara. That's true. Because we're on to the second Sin Cara at this point. Yes. So we get to the main show and they kick it off with the Fatal 4-Way Tag Team Championship match between Aiden English and Simon Gotch, the Vod Villains. Enzo and Big Cass, uh, the Carl uh, uh, Anderson and Luke Gallows, and your tag team champions, Big E and Kofi Kingston. 11 minutes and 42 seconds of, of, of a hard action here, uh, and your champions retain. Big E and Kofi Kingston uh, retain 11 minutes and 42 seconds, two and a half stars. Chris, what do you think of this one? Uh, I enjoyed the match because uh, I'm a big fan of Gallows and Anderson. Uh, I'm a big fan of Aiden English. Uh, just mentioning Simon Gotch's name uh, means that he will be in the top of my YouTube uh, recommendations for the next three years, as he has been in the past three years. Uh, of course, everybody knows how much I love the New Day. Now we have to have a conversation. Are we to the point that we can like Enzo again? Uh, no. Because he was I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. think. They, I, last, I believe the last I heard is there was no... Like, the issues that he had kind of got gone. Right. So, I, I enjoy... In the time frame that this was happening, I was a huge Enzo Amore fan. Uh, Cass is whatever. Cass is kind of a free agent right now, as William Morrissey. He just left Impact. So we'll see where he ends up. Maybe he ends up in AEW or New Japan. I tell you, he's going back to WWE. Oh, you think I, so? I think so, yeah. Oh. I mean, is he not the prototypical guy that Vince McMahon wants in his promotion? Seven feet tall, big jacked up dude. He's he's a Vince guy. Yeah, no, it's true. I I hadn't thought of that, but yeah. And and to be fair, and again, I'm basing this on nothing, guys. I'm not an industry insider, but I think William Morrissey fits into a profile that they don't really currently have. I mean, yes, you have Omas. Um. <laughs> But like, but like, you really just don't have a big seven foot tall guy that can go out and have good matches. And you know I, what? I think they could. You use can't a teach guy like, that. No, you can't. And I think, really, I think, you know what? To strike while the iron is hot, I think William Morrissey could go back to. You know, WWE with Cody out for a period of time. Not saying they're going to put him in the main event, but I think he could go back and have a good little mid-card run right now. Maybe get Ooh. in the IC title hunt. I just um, thought of a great match I'd want to see if that happened. That would be Morrissey against Drew McIntyre. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree. 
Up next, uh, we had. Do you do you care about the vaudevillains? Did you ever care about the vaudevillains? I hated the vaudevillains from the moment they laid eyes on them. I I wasn't a big fan of their gimmick. Uh, I'm not a big fan of either Aiden English or Simon Gotch. I've never really connected with them as a team. Um, I did not shed a tear when they were let go. Um, they they really the thing with the the vaudevillains always was and this is the classic issue we've seen a million times with teams and and performers that come from nxt they come up to the main roster and they get stuck firmly in the middle of the road they're not a face they're not a heel they're trying to be a heel but they're doing a crappy job at it and then it just gets to the point where you do not care anymore and because again, if you're not going to push them as faces, you're not going to push them as heels. They're just floating. Cobb, Tommaso Ciampa, Cobb, because that's exactly what's happening to him right now. They're not making you connect. There was where was the connection with the Vod villains? There, it was never there. No. Like the the you know the coming out and doing what they did like was 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 cool. Their entrance was cool the first time you saw it, maybe the second time. But they, there was just they, they were never a tag team that people connected with. Um, so yeah, I mean they never they never really did it for me. Oh okay, I, I am a huge fan of Gals and Anderson. Oh yeah. Um, there was, I mean their run in WWE was almost criminal in how little little utilized they were in what they did when they were utilized. And yeah. then they are the only people that were shoot murdered on WWE television. Yeah. Cause I mean, they went into that boneyard match with AJ styles and the undertaker and the undertaker literally murdered them in that match. And then were never heard or seen from again until yeah. they both. Now that being said this past weekend, um, Carl Anderson is the never open way champion in new Japan. We might see him at forbidden door doc gallows had a horrific match with toriano on dominion that may have set the business back 20 years <laughs> so let's like i like them as a team uh gallows is funny he could have fit that w morrissey casting we talked about earlier at this point but you know, I, I, yeah, I, you know what? I will often, I think, you know, I, and I mean, out of the two of us, you are much more knowledgeable on the, on the Japanese wrestling landscape than I am. But to me, one of the biggest question marks, you know, of Guys that, you know, have been multi-promotional guys, have wrestled in Japan, WWE, AEW, whatever, Impact. One of the biggest things to me would be how big of a star Carl Anderson would have been if he would have broken away from Gallows 10 years ago, five years ago, six years ago. Um, I feel like at this point, Gallows holds Anderson down. He really does. Um, again, their tag team run in WWE was, it was eh. I mean, they came back to Impact, eh. AEW, eh. Like, to, Carl Anderson, I feel like, 
has a ceiling that he never came anywhere close to hitting. I feel like Carl Anderson could have been a world champion in an American promotion. I, I'll say this. The greatest comparable I've heard for Carl Anderson was Arn Anderson. Mm. Arn Anderson in NWA WCW. Yeah. Like they're a pretty, that's a pretty good comparison between the two of them. Held down by, held down because he was primarily viewed as a tag team wrestler, very technical in the ring, but has that bruising physical style and always was the guy behind the guy. Carl Anderson's always going to be the guy behind whoever's currently leading the Bullet Club. Yes. And I mean, here's the thing. You've seen him on on being the elite and, and all and all these things and he he seems to be enjoying all the stuff that he's done. I don't think he holds any resentment or bitterness for that, but Carl Anderson is a guy of 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 people in the last decade who never came anywhere close to achieving what I think they could have had for a ceiling. Carl Anderson's on the short list. If he's resentful about anything, when he takes a look at the bank account and sees those Bullet Club merchandise checks come in, I'm pretty sure it takes care of all of that. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Baron Corbin defeated Dolph Ziggler in part 473 of their series. Uh, it took uh, 12 minutes and 25 seconds, and Baron wins it with the end of days. Next. <laughs> well, it doesn't get better. It's Charlotte and Dana Brooke defeating... Becky Lynch and Natalia in seven minutes. Uh, I don't even remember how this match ended. It was, oh, uh, natural selection by yeah. Charlotte. Charlotte hits uh, the natural selection on Natalia. This is Becky's steampunk era. This is before the man and anything like that. After the match, Natalia turns on Becky Lynch because there haven't been enough turns in this program. Well, and there hasn't been enough Natalia heel turns in her career because... I feel like they've they've gone to the well of Natalia teams as somebody loses and turns on them about 700 million times. Um, I mean, this match wasn't bad. It was, you know, this was... <sighs> we're, no, we're, this this we're was past calm the, before the storm women's yeah, division, I think. We're past the diva era, but we're not quite in the four horse woman era. Yeah, we still we the women's division at this point still hasn't found their footing. I think is the best way to look at. Mm-hmm. Apollo Cruz defeats Sheamus, rolling him off after Sheamus gets a uh, cocky blow and a cocky pin uh, at eight minutes and thirty six seconds. What did Uncle Dave have to say about this match? Hey, Meltzer, actually, Meltzer, I, I actually agree with this. Two and a half stars, and I and I give this my good but not great. This yep. was a solid mid-card match. Again, we're still very early on into Apollo Crews uh, being on the main roster. And, you know, again, Apollo Crews, who has been very up and down and up and down on the, the main roster, I don't think he ever really found his footing um, as part of the main roster. But, you know, this was one of those things where in, you're you're looking at Apollo and you see the, the physical potential, but there, there's something missing. 
there, there's that connection. You know, I, I think what kept this from being a, a great match was there seemed to be a little bit of a disconnect, you know, with, with what they were trying to do between the two performers. Again, good, not great. I think, you know, it, it's just, it's it, it was what it was. I think it was what everybody was expected it was going to be. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I was a big, I'm a big fan of Apollo Crews. Uh, I enjoy watching him. I enjoyed him when he was on Nation, on the uh, on the Indies as well. I mean, he's a very talented guy, but he in WWE, he's just kind of always been there. Like again, it's six years ago, and he's beating Sheamus on pay per view, and now he's back on NXT after losing his accent again. He's no longer royalty. Yeah, and uh, I, again, they I just. I don't know. It comes back down to WWE as a television content company, not a wrestling company. Um, If they they can't connect with your personality, you get lost in the shuffle. Yes, for sure. A match that did not get lost in the shuffle. AJ Styles defeats the returning John Cena. This match went 24 minutes and 10 seconds. It was the battle of finishers throughout the match. And this really was the match of the night. Oh, easily. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think that's a good thing when, you know, the money in the bank match is not the highlight of the show. And again, I, you know what, we've got the, the, the whole Shabazz with the World Heavyweight Championship at the end, but this was easily the best match of the night. I think the Styles-Cena saga of 2016 is one of the best, uh, you know, sagas that we've seen in recent memory. Um, you know, I, I think especially now with Cena having having moved on to other things for the most part and Styles seeming to be uh, accepting of his mid-tier role, this was just a great exhibition in what both of these guys could do. Uh, and you have to remember, you know, um, you know, this was for a, in a lot of ways. You know, this was sort of, um, I remember when this was happening, a lot of it was kind of pit towards AJ Styles sort of needing to prove something. Because you have to remember, right, AJ Styles has only been in WWE for six months at this point. Having after having debuted at or five months, sorry, for those of us who can do math, having debuted at the 16 Rumble. So, this was really built this whole thing with Styles and Cena was built as a you need to prove yourself what you've done in the rest of the world don't, don't mean doo doo, and you really need to, you know, if you're going to step in here, you're going to step in here against the 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 the, 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 the whatever he was at that time, 14 face or that 15. runs the place. The face, yeah, you know, if, I think he was 14 or 15 time world champion at the time. So, you know, but it was intriguing, right? Because for those of us who understand that life exists outside of WWE, we knew what AJ Styles was capable of. I mean, load up any TNA pay-per-view match with AJ Styles in it, and you were capable, you knew what AJ Styles was capable of. And even at this point, you know, where, you know, 
Cena's sort of on the the downswing of his full-time run was a great match. They told a great story together. It was very intriguing. Lots of, like you said, it was a battle of the finishers. Um, great match. Really, really good match. I, it was great to see AJ Styles get the win. Um, yeah, just everything about this was really, really well done. They stole the show, but it was petty theft. Okay. See, we need this is where we need sound effects when one of my jokes doesn't land. That's true. Well, speaking of landing, next up we have the Money in the Bank briefcase match. It's Alberto Del Rio, Cesaro, Chris Jericho, Dean Ambrose, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn, as we explained in the lead-up. This thing goes 21 minutes, and Dean Ambrose uh, ends up bringing down the briefcase and holding the WWE World Heavyweight Championship title match contract. I would not say that this is one of the greatest Money in the Bank matches of all time. I think Meltzer was a little higher on it. He gave both the Style Cena and the Money in the Bank match the same four and a quarter star rating, which I very strongly disagree with. I think the Style Cena match was far superior to this Money in the Bank match. Not one of the best Money in the Bank matches, but it was it was really good. Everybody got their crap in. Um. Yeah, it was just a really solid money in the bank match. Yeah, it is what it, it is. What it is. It's, it was a solid match. Nobody. There was nothing real silly in it. There was nothing. Just anything real strange about it. It was just. It was again. It was what it was. Is it was all the lead up for Dean Ambrose to get that briefcase. Again, I wouldn't be one. I jump in and turn on to WWE Network to watch if we were, hadn't been doing the show. But, I mean, it was a good match for what it was. Meltzer giving this the same stars as AJ and John were is crazy. Yeah, I agree. Well, Up, let's, let, oh. let, let, let's breeze over this waste of time. Oh. Uh. Rusev defeats Titus O'Neil via submission at a match that I cannot believe went eight minutes and 10 seconds to retain the United States Heavyweight Championship one and three quarter stars, which is one and a half stars too many. This match was just, you knew where it was going. Titus O'Neil sucks. Great guy. Has done some wonderful work with, with the communities and charities and stuff WWE work with, works with, but man, this match sucks. 100%. It, uh, eight minutes and 10 seconds, that's about eight minutes too long. And it w- was kind of all built around Titus O'Neil winning the 2015 Best Celebrity Dad of the Year poll from somewhere. <laughs> and he made a point to go over to his kids and kiss them on the forehead and then kiss one on the lips, which, listen, I don't know. I'm not going to judge anybody. I never kissed my dad on the lips <laughs> ever, no. but you know, whatever happens, happens. Rusev goes over, makes a mess out of the kids. Did you see one of the kids smack Rusev? Yes. Yeah. And I'm just like, Oh kid, <laughs> like I get it that you're think you're part of this right now, 
but act like you're scared. Don't act like you're a tough guy. But yeah, no, this was just. If you're going to push the guy as the best dad in the world, and I kind of think that this pay-per-view might have taken place on Father's Day. So uh, if you're, yes. you're going to do that, don't you have to have the guy who won Best Celebrity Dad win if you're going to push that out there? Not in a title match, obviously, but put him in the pre-show match and get it over with. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. But now we're at the main event. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Last the match main, of the night, right? The main event is here. It's yeah. uh, D, uh, Roman Reigns, the WWE World Heavyweight Champion, taking on Seth Rollins. The match goes 26 minutes, and Seth Rollins wins to become the WWE World Heavyweight Champion. Meltzer gives it three and three quarter stars. Um, again, Obviously, there's never been a chemistry issue between Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. Even when you go back up to, you know, what they've done, even in this year, they've always worked really well together. They're great at telling stories. I think a lot of where this match loses points, if you're, let's say you're the kind of guy that you start at five stars and you go down. Again, the whole arrangement of the face heel dynamic here was a problem. Um, it was a problem in this match. The crowd obviously cheering for the heel, um, much to the chagrin of, I'm sure, Vince McMahon. Uh, I'm sure they definitely were not piping in other noise um, over top of it to make Roman Reigns seem like the greatest face in the history of the company. Um, but, again, really, really, really good match. Um you know, again, not one of the ones that you're going to, you know, hang in the rafters of Titan Towers as one of the goats, but a really, really, really good match that got us to where we needed to go. Yeah, no, definitely. Rollins and Reigns never have bad matches. They always started good, some get to great, and others are fantastic. This was kind of one of those good ones. Like, just because of the chemistry, you're always going to start it good. Yeah. And then kind of work your way up from there. But, like, again, it was a good match. And, that, I mean, that was the main event. So, afterwards, they hit the little copyright on the bottom. And uh, everybody went home, right? No, sir. That is not what happened. Oh, what happened okay. was Dean Ambrose music hit. Um, you know, he had said previously if he won... He was cashing it in, and uh, Rollins is uh, looking up the ramp. Obviously, the camera is zoomed in super-duper close so that you cannot see him coming up from behind until Michael Cole says something to the effect of, uh, he's, he's fine, I'm he's fine, I'm he's fine. Uh, something along, <laughs> along those lines. Um, and... Uh, uh, Ambrose hits Rollins with the briefcase, turns to Mike Chioda, who after nine years still has no idea what the hell it means when somebody hands him the money in the bank briefcase. He what are you doing? At, what I do you never, want me to do with it? What are you at, doing? Yeah, Mike Chioda just sits there with a stupid look on his face. Again, I don't understand, like, I don't understand the concept here, but. Mike Kyoto looks at him stupidly, and Ambrose is like, I'm cashing it in. I'm cashing it in. 
Kyoto gets in the ring. Lillian Garcia does her thing. Ra- uh, uh, Ambrose hits the dirty deeds. One, two, three. And in eight seconds, Dean Ambrose is your new WWE heavyweight championship, meaning in the span of 10 wrestling seconds, all three members of the Shield were WWE champion. And I mean, that's a clip that if John Moxley ever plays nice with WWE and gets in the Hall of Fame as a member of the Shield, that's a clip that they'll show of all three members of the Shield being world heavyweight champion within the space of half an hour, say, or 10 seconds. Um, it was, I love cash ins kind of like this. If you're going to do it the night of, this is the way to do it in the main event, jump them from behind. It, uh, Ambrose was a heel or sorry, was a face, but he did heelish things. It makes perfect sense. And it gets, once again, gets us to where we need to go, which is Dean Ambrose winning the WWE world heavyweight championship. Yep. Well, there you have it. And a very, again, a very um, interesting cash in, a, a very, again, a very unique night for all three members of the Shield. And you know what? Again, a very, uh, a very interesting time um, for WWE is, you know what? There was this whole, you know, Michael Cole still very much um, being a heel commentator at this point um, was very much against on commentary um, the idea of um, you know this whole thing. It's funny because I remember. So for the, for those of you who are who are like Chris and I and our Mayor Mashiers, um, you know the the date of this pay per view has uh, very big significance in Miramichi history because. The day of this pay-per-view, uh, Mayor Jerry Cormier passed away of a heart attack. Um, literally, the news broke right after the pre-show, I believe. Um, and, you know, I was I remember I was watching it with some friends of mine, and we were kind of, you know, like, you know, as 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 you and I are known to do, right? We're kind of, you know, we're, we're feeling kind of bad. We're very invested in our local community. We're kind of shooting the crap about, you know, who, who what's going to happen now and, and, and just feeling really horrible. And I mean, Jerry, and, Jerry was somebody we, I, I can't speak for you, but that I knew personally was a family friend, yeah. somebody who like we knew and, and things like that. He was a long time uh, employee of one of the government departments that everybody had a lot of dealings with around here. Uh, well, even while he was mayor, always had a handshake and a hello for you. Just one of the great salt of the earth guy. Yeah. So I remember watching this show with a certain level of, I just wanted to kind of, you know, do something else and focus on something else. And I remember watching this show. That's why this show kind of always holds a special place for me because I will always equate it as a really good show that I enjoyed on a really bad day that I wish I would have otherwise been able to forget. Um, and, and a really bad day for, for our city. And, um, you know what, again, a really good show. I, I love the concept of the three shield guys all having the title. 
Um, you know what? This was this was just great wrestling for a lot of it. Um, yeah, there was some crap, but what mid-teens era WWE pay-per-view doesn't have some crap? <laughs> and really good. So, I mean, let us know what you think. Uh, I think for me, this is firmly a thumbs up. Uh, again, you know what? Yes, there were some parts of the show you could have cut, but I do think from start to finish, it was a very well done pay-per-view. It set us on down the road to SummerSlam, uh, which, of course, we get uh, the return of Brock Lesnar and uh, the introduction of the Universal Championship. And so this kind of set us down the path for the next little while in WWE. Chris, what did you think? Uh, I'm kind of more of a thumbs in the middle pointing up. Um, there was some good stuff, uh, but the bad stuff really kind of like th the Titus O'Neil Rusev match kind of really brought that down. I I'm not a fan of Natalia. Um, so that tag match kind of brought everything down. I don't care about B Baron Corbin. I never really have. So it was kind of thumbs in the middle kind of uh, going up. Um, before we get to SummerSlam, there's a little bit of aftermath. Uh, two days after Money in the Bank, Roman Reigns was suspended for 30 days for violating WWE's wellness program, which uses drug testing to detect substance abuse. Pro Wrestling Torch and The Rap reported that WWE knew of Reigns' violation before Money in the Bank, leading to Reigns losing the world title at the event, WWE continued to advertise Reigns in a triple threat match at Battleground as he faced uh, Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose for the now shortened WWE Championship. Uh, they continued to advertise him. Uh, his suspension was up before the pay-per-view because there was five weeks in between uh, this pay-per-view and battleground so he missed the build-up but uh was be able to be there for the show as the suspension was completed well there you go uh i do want to ask you one last thing i'm going to completely shift gears here for a second because i wanted to ask this earlier now i'm just remembering i know you said you hadn't watched raw last night but spoiler alert ezekiel has said that next week on raw his brother Elias will be returning. My question, my question to you is two-part question. How are they going to pull it off? And how excited are you for the return of stunt double Damien Sandow? Oh my. Because that's immediately where everybody on the internet went. Is that because oh, listen. It's obvious Elias and Ezekiel are the same person. What? Yes, Kevin Owens. Um, anyway. Next thing you're going to do is Would you're going to this... tell me that Mr. America and Hulk Hogan were the same person. They were. He took the mask off. Anyway. But, like, everybody immediately on the internet was like, they're bringing back Damian Sandow as a stunt double. Like a one-night-only coming back as the stunt double dressed as Elias coming out with the guitar. And I'm like, that would be so cool. What a I great call. Because again, then, then like that would be a great callback and you know, you could get Miz in on it. Like I know Miz is doing other stuff right now, but um, you know, cause he's been kind of sort of carrying the riddle Roman Reigns story, despite, you know, the fact that Miz has nothing to do with it. 
Um, you know, but he's been using his Miz TV kind of platform to push that up a little bit. But like you could get Miz in on it and like like how cool would that be? On oh, a scale of one it. to ten, on a scale of one to ten, how excited are you for Damian Sandow to come back next week? Oh, that's an eight. <laughs> like Bray Wyatt coming back is ten. Sandow's an eight. And you know, the funny part of it is is Sandow had his quote unquote last match at the NWA pay-per-view a couple of weekends ago, always ready. So he may be, that may actually be a thing that could happen. Wow. Yeah, maybe. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, that's, that's, I, I'll, I'll laugh. Like, I know I'll get a, a message if that's what happens. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Ringside Rewind. Uh, man, let us know what you thought of Money in the Bank 2016. That's Chris? right. You can. Oh, hit him with it, Chris. That's what uh, you can do is let us know what you think on our socials at facebook.com uh, uh, slash ringside rewind. You can also check us out on our website at ringside rewind.com. And on Twitter, you can check us out. The show is at ringside rewind. I am at CD Lawrence and he is at Snaggle J. And also check us out on TikTok at ringside rewind. Merci beaucoup, mes amis, for listening to the show on your podcast app of choice on Android or iOS. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you so very, very much. We wouldn't have anywhere near as much fun doing this show if you guys weren't enjoying it along with us. Um, make sure you uh, hit that big subscribe button. Again, if you're uh, if you're over at ringsiderewind.com, bookmark that. Get the RSS feed. Download a podcast app of choice on Android or iOS. Get it on the iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast podcatcher whatever grab it up hit the subscribe support the show listen to the show we greatly appreciate it and until next time be kind and rewind